Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Jeremy Smith. The Ides of March are passing and onwards into the quote-unquote business end of the season, but who is fighting to keep their heads above the waterline and who is being pulled in by the current? The league on weekend and a look at the Liberal squad ahead of their qualifiers after the latest headlines. Nice let victory slip through their fingers in the first game of the weekend as William Cyprian's opener was cancelled out by a Fermin Mubele late goal for Toulouse as they earned a one-all draw at the Alliance Riviera. Elsewhere on Friday night, Monaco caused somewhat of an upset giving table position at least as they held off home side Lille before Vinicius hit the killing blow in the final minutes to give the Principality Club a vital one. No win. In the multiplex on Saturday, Gangomp gained a huge three points in the battle to avoid the drop as Ludwig Blas' penalty saw them beat fellow strugglers Dijon by a goal to nil, which means Caen now slipped to the bottom of the table as they were hammered 5-0 at home against Saint-Étienne. Angers and Amiens played out a scoreless draw for the second time this season uh, with Christian Lopez missing a penalty late on for the hosts, while Strasbourg let a 2-0 lead slip at Nîmes, who scored twice to leave the Alsace side without a win in the league since the end of January. On Sunday, Lyon responded to their Champions League elimination at the hands of Barcelona with a 3-2 win over Montpellier. Martin Thierry, Moussa Ndombele and Hussam Awa all on the score sheet, while Nabo Fekir missed a chance to increase that victory margin from the spot. Raz continued their outstanding run recently with Remy Udan's wonder strike beating Nantes as Paolo Sosa was denied his first win in charge of Bordeaux as Rennes struck late to get a one-all draw. The final match of the weekend saw Le Classique go the way of Paris Saint-Germain as the Di Maria show helped them earn a 3-1 win. His double and Kylian Mbappe's opener cancelled out a consolation from Valais-Germain with Mbappe missing a penalty in the second half, as well as Marseille seeing Steve Mandanda sent off. In international news, Anthony Marshall has pulled out of the France squad for these upcoming qualifiers against Moldova and Iceland this week and the start of next week through injury and has been replaced by Atletico Madrid winger Tom Lemar. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with Le Classique. Where else really can we go? And it certainly had its talking points, despite maybe not being quite the uh, competitive event, at least anyway, we thought it, it might be rich. It, it was an intriguing game, especially given that it, obviously there was a disallowed goal in the first half. There was a, a very strange mistake from Andona that almost caused the goal. But as soon as the second half started, when they got that equaliser, we thought we may have had a game on our hands. But at, in the end, it was more of a redemption story for PSG and, a, and another three points that takes them closer and closer to the title. Yeah, I mean, you felt coming into this, Marseille stood something of a chance. You know, they were in good form. They had Balotelli playing. Um, really well since he he, he joined. Um, obviously, there were the 
I think probably mind games leading up to the up to kick off about whether he was going to be fit all week. It was no, he's not going to make it, not going to make it. And then, you know, an hour before kickoff, his his shirt was pictured in the dressing room, and, and of course, he was then in the starting lineup. Um, and it, I, what I what I quite liked about this was it at least restored some of the fieriness. It was it was quite a quite a bad tempered game, um, but yeah, you felt. Marseille were a little bit subdued. I think they, they controlled the game pretty well, I think, in the opening um, 45 minutes. I mean, PSG had the better chances. Um, you know, they had the ball in the net once, ruled out for offside. Um, and then, in, you know, in, in sort of classic Marseille tradition, you know, despite have, you know, despite playing pretty well, they go and concede right, you know, right at the death of the first half. Um but you know, all credit to, to to Rudy Garcia, all credit to the squad that they came out and and got that goal. It was only about twenty seconds after kickoff, and you felt well, actually, you know what? They've got PSG a little bit rattled here. Um, sadly, of course, um, that was that was not meant to be. Um, Rondonda, who didn't have a good game, uh, you know, regardless of the red card, he, he wasn't having a particularly good game. There was an incident in the first half where he nearly conceded a pretty embarrassing own goal, sort of a la um, sort of Stefan Ruffier. Um, I think it was that was at the Parc des Princes as well, I think a few seasons ago, uh, where he sort of tried to play a, a back pass away from goal, but nearly passed it into his own net. Um, you know, the, the, the Di Maria goal really, I think, sort of blew the chances for, for Marseille to, to to take something from this game. Um, it was a goal that, it was a good finish, but Mondonda should be saving that. A goalkeeper of his supposed calibre should be saving that. And then the red card, you know, crazy stuff from Mondonda. No idea why he was rushing out. The replay showed it was, it was offside. Um, so, you know, it, it could have resulted in a goal, but it would have been disallowed. I, I don't genuinely no idea what he was doing, herring out of his area like that. Uh, he was sent off and of course, Di De- Maria uh, sort of increased the punishment with that terrific free kick. Um, it, it was a deserved PSG win. I don't think PSG were absolutely outstanding. Um, I think they were helped a little bit by Marseille, um, sort of freezing slightly on the big occasion once again. Um, but there was, there was. I think the game will probably be remembered more for what happened in the stands and maybe a couple of incidences on the pitch away from the goal mouth action um, than anything else. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to, to to what was going on in the stands in terms of some of the banners and some of the behaviour with some of the players on the pitch. But it was certainly from a from a neutral's perspective, it was a very entertaining classic, and it did sort of hark us back to the the good old days of. Of uh, of how these tussles usually ended up. Yeah, and it was an interesting affair. And we'll, we'll come on to sort of maybe talking about the goalkeeping really experience in a, in a, a little while. But particularly from PSG's point of view, uh, Jez Di Maria grabbing two and he may be a little bit upset he couldn't grab a third with Mbappe taking the penalty in the end. But uh, another excellent display from the Argentine, and there should really be an argument that he's been PSG's best player over the course of the season. Uh, I mean, he's he's definitely up there. I'd, I'd say it's only the only two contenders are, are, are him and Mbappe. Um, Neymar maybe has been slightly unlucky in that 
um, he was beginning to show some, some really good form when he got injured. But yeah, Di Maria has been right up there. And there was an article in Lecky this week about uh, debating whether Di Maria is better when Neymar's not there. I think the stats probably bear it out. And whether Neymar's there or not, he's 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 absolutely one of one of the two two or three best players there. And I think probably if anything, a little underrated. Um, I don't know if it's because he isn't quite a stellar a name, if it's because he, he came off the back of, of the, um, you know, the disappointing time that he had at Man United. But um, unlike quite a few others, and OK, some people will point to the second Man United match, but no one came out of that well. Um, Di Maria generally has stepped up when he's needed to. And he really was the difference on Sunday night. And as, as Rich said, it wasn't greatest performance from PSG and, and a lot of Marseille fans are are a little upset that they felt that if ever PSG were, were there for the taking that this was the time and although they did get back to, to one all for, for a little while I think most people felt that PSG pretty much controlled the game and, and were able to step it up and still not even come close to, to sort of fourth or fifth gear um, but I think a lot of that is down to Di Maria he just he seemed for that match anyway to be playing another level to everyone else including even Mbappe and as you said it's pretty harsh of Mbappe not to not to let him sort of cap it with a hat-trick in the, in the last minute with the, with the last kick of the game but actually with, with the match already won I think um, you know, coming away with, with the match ball would have been the, the least that Dean really deserved for that performance Absolutely I, I am going to be I kind of like being in this position, to be fair, of being party pooper, but I'll do it again because Di Maria does score an excellent free kick, I think, for the second. But at the same time, I don't know why goalkeepers do this from from free kicks from especially that kind of distance. Stand in the middle of your goal. I mean, it, it's you're going to see it come plenty of time. It's not going to drive past you if you stood in the middle of the goal. It's for you to get to one of those corners and Pele can only not reach it because he's too far over to the right-hand side for some inexplicable reason. It gives Di Maria that chance. Yes, it goes off the post, but at the same time, a keeper has to do a little bit better there, really, as I well. S- I saw um, a Marseille fan tweet the, the you know, the gift of the guy sort of tapping the side of his head and, and saying, you know, Pele was really clever there. He saw Mandanda make mistakes using his hands, so he decided not to bother. <laughs> 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 it's a it's a perfect analogy for both of them, I think, in that game. We'll come on to to, to, to Stephen in a, in a moment, but in terms of Marseille, at least anyway, general performance, right? Jez hit on it a little bit there, Rich. That they they were a little bit lethargic, maybe could have offered a little bit more. But have we been sort of fooled by the the latest results really for them? I mean, they they weren't really barnstorming results against Nice against uh, Ren against some other smaller sides where they, they got the wins that they wanted but didn't really come out the blocks. Have they really recovered from what had been an, an awful sort of November, December, January time? Uh, were we sort of mystified by results in this more of a statement of exactly where they are at the moment? Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's the case. I think this really is typical Marseille. You know, we know that once they can get a bit of momentum, they can get results against the quote-unquote lesser teams. We know they have always had an issue when it's come to the big games. Um, and then, as I said before, just feeling like they've almost frozen on the, on that big occasion. Um, I mean, they've, they've been aided, I think, by um, a lack of consistency from other teams around them. 
So else, you know, Marseille have gone on this run where they've been able to pick up points quite regularly from their their sort of last sort of half dozen or so games. Um, you know, that's taken advantage of the fact that you know Lille have dropped form. I think a little bit. I think Leon are, are still a little too on the inconsistent side. Strasbourg have fallen away after a, a good start to the season. Um, so they have been heavily aided by that. Um, maybe Balotelli's form has masked something. He has brought a little bit of of joy back for the Marseille fans, and you know he has he has so far proven to be, I think, a good signing. He's he's by no means the complete answer to to their issues, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, that seems to have have resulted in in Garcia finally deciding to play two up front. And lo and behold, Germain looks a little bit more effective. Um, so, uh, to an extent, yes, they 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 they, ha- they have improved. You know, they've got a goal scorer who's scoring for starters, so that's a step in the right direction. They've got a defence that looks, you know, semi decent now, semi competent. Um, I think Kaletikar and, and and Kamara, you know, they're still a little rusty, but I think that's to be expected for a player new to the league and a player as young and as inexperienced as Kamara is. But there's certainly signs there that they're starting to form a, a promising partnership. Um, I think Morgan Sanson, you know, he's a player who I felt so frustrated with because there's a great player there. But in almost, you know, in almost Marseille-esque um, uh, style, he's he's so inconsistent but again, you know, he's he's maybe starting to find a tiny bit of consistency again. Another, you know, still a player that's got a long way to go. So there's this signs there, and what we now what we now need to wait and see is have they learnt their lessons from transfer windows gone by? You know, have they recognised that actually, you know what, we've gone out, we've got a player that we actually needed that was actually of some quality in Balotelli. And lo and behold, he's actually performing. So maybe they can they can identify finally what the problem areas are with the squad. I still think they need to add to that defence. Certainly, they need to be looking at bringing in a new goalkeeper. And I think Sunday night really, really hammered that home that that Mandanda was is is not the player he once was. Um, and funny enough, speaking to to Mo, um, he was he was saying. You know, he felt that they should never have bought him, should never have bought him back. You know, he he was, you know, he got such a, a, a you know, borderline legendary status for all the, you know, all the the perform- great performances he put in for the club prior to his departure to Crystal Palace. He felt it's 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 ruined. You know, he's not he's not the player he was, and you know, it's been over twelve months now with his form having dropped off. So he needs to be replaced. I think a few extra bodies in midfield. Um, but the signs are there. I think that there's, there's, there are signs that that they have turned a corner. That maybe they look like they're actually going in the right direction. But and it's a very big but, and it's a very big caveat on this. I feel as though we've been here before. So as 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 excited as as Marseille fans could possibly think, in terms of this is a step in the right direction, I think that will be tempered with a great deal of of. Of sort of deja vu of you know we've been here we felt oh yeah we're on the cusp and then you know we go and have a transfer window where we sign you know Kevin Stroopman, Gregory Sertic and and Kostas Mitroglou and it's it's not quite as uh, 
you know, it feels a bit of a letdown. So the big test, I think, for Marseille comes where they finish this season. If they don't finish top three, they lose Tovo. Whether that's a big blow or not, um, many many will argue. Um, and then what happens in the transfer window? You know, if they've learned from January, then I think next season, you know what, they could be pushing for, you know, nailing that nailing that second spot because the 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 bare bones I think look about there with Marseille. It just now needs um sort of dressing up a little bit, a bit of fine tuning and some sensible sound recruitment. Yeah, and if they're not already in Marseille, start planning now, really. <laughs> get something together so you can get your business done nice and early. Because for one thing, I suppose a position we didn't necessarily expect Marseille to do, although he has sort of downturned, Jesse, and Richard's touched on it a bit, is Stev Mandonder. Ever since his return from Crystal Palace, there was a lot of fanfare, but maybe because of past glories, it's been sort of scanned over, I suppose, that he has been a pretty poor at moments but in a big game like this it was really really highlighted in the two mistakes he did one that almost caused a horrific own goal and the second being an an outrageous decision to come out and and try and and save in in that scenario it's been a strange decline for him because before he left these shores for for england and and pastures knew he was still one of the best keepers in league if not top three that spell in london seems to have drastically hit him and he's now hit that proverbial wall yeah it's interesting you say this type of game because this was a kind of typical Marseille game in that having been in reasonable form and and looked like they were better suddenly against the big team they did absolutely nothing and again Torfan is probably not necessarily the biggest culprit but, but considering that he's the one that usually performs well in the other matches it's kind of more highlighted when he goes entirely missing but in these type of games that's when you expect your best players or your most experienced players to, to step up and Mondondan not only did he not step up but he sort of did quite the opposite and um, I interviewed um, Bruno Malville for, for the GFFN site um, last week and um, he I think spoke for a lot of Marseille fans when um, well as Rich said, at least one of them, because Mo agrees with him, that Mondonda and he also said Payet should never have come back. Um, you know, he spoke of them both being on the wrong side of 30, no one else being interested in them, and um, the fact that they were coming back basically um, in sort of pre-retirement, and Mondonda's performances have borne that out, and I'm not sure what it was that happened at Palace. I mean, maybe playing under Sam Allardyce is enough to, to affect anyone that way, but uh, and he did have injuries as well, to be fair, but it, it, it seems to be as much as anything a confidence thing. And then that has affected the, it has, you know, it's been kind of vicious circle that due to a lack of confidence, his, his performances are bad, have been bad. And then bad performances have affected his confidence all the more. But even by his standards, which have not been great since he's come back, Sunday night was, was, was really poor. And yeah, unfortunately, because he is a club legend, um, I think it's, it's definitely time for, for him to move. And, I mean, they often say that you should never go back to, to the place where where you were a legend the first time around. And arguably for Payet, for the first few months, it looked like um, he he kind of was disproving that. I think even he now stuck on the bench is, is possibly showing that, that that was a big mistake after all. But sadly, Mondonda has never really 
um, at any point that like justifying the, the, the decision for Marseille to bring him back. Um, it does feel like almost match by match, he's he's kind of um, tarnishing the, the reputation that he had before Palace. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the important thing I think for when they did sign him is it's a difficult thing because you risk tarnishing some kind of legacy. Although I think arguing that Dimitri Payet over two years can or two or three years can gain a legacy is a bit more questionable than Mandondas. But they were they were statements, weren't they? They were the the question quote unquote Marseille are back kind of signings really and. The difficult thing now, as you've really mentioned, is moving them both on and to pastures new will, and getting their contracts off the off the books will be really the difficult things that um, it's going to puzzle them in the summer, at least anyway, should they try and do that. And uh, um, hopefully they can think about trying to grow as a club again from there. Um, let's I think pull, as, oh, sorry, just, going, just as Rich said, there really is the makings of a good team there. Um, and they just need to ensure that they keep those players and build something around them. Um, and I just think they've been, they've taken almost like the, the sort of AC Milan route when things started going downhill for them, which was build the team around a load of, you know, in football terms, perhaps of the old age pensioners. Um, and I, I think the Marseille fans would forgive some dodgy results if it's kind of, if it looks like they're moving towards something, if there's some young players who look like they care were trying their hardest and too often it, it hasn't looked like that and so I think that's why the fans are a little bit more unforgiving I, I don't think it would take that much to turn it around as Rich said two or three really canny signings and just showing that they're putting faith in the Coletta Sars and the Cameras and the Lopez's and I think that the fans will will um, yeah show a lot more forgiveness than they have the last year or two. Yeah, I think for anyone in Liga, maybe other than PSG, it's going to be a really, really interesting summer again to see what Marseille decide to do. Um, I think it to... should be an interesting summer for PSG as well. I just don't think it will be. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, that one's more of a wait and see at least. Well, I suppose it's really is for both of them really to see if they can they can both just sort of improve and, and maybe have another barnstorming Le Classique next season. We'll have to wait for though. But on to things at the bottom of the table because there was two big games, especially the one between Gangomp and Dijon, because it was a huge three points for Gangomp. Dijon had their chances. They gave away a, a bit of a silly penalty, really, in the end, and, and Ludovic Blas took it away. A great win for Gangomp, because that puts them a little bit further. They're, they're still in the relegation playoff zone, and a lot of teams above them ended up winning, which will just about annoy them. Obviously, Mar Monaco got their victory that's pushed them a little bit further. Amion got a point as well, so they're really seven points away from any kind of real safety, Rich. But regardless of that, the important thing was the three points uh, in, in a vital game like that on Saturday to give them a chance of at least not going down automatically. Especially with the games coming up, I mean, they they have the cup final when they return off the international break. Montpellier and Monaco after that, which is is not going to be easy. Got Marseille and Nice as well. They've at least got Caen, Nîmes, and Amiens in the final three, four. Well, in three of the last final four games of the season, so they do still have a chance. But it was absolutely vital for them to get a victory here, wasn't it? Uh, it was. I mean, we we touched on this game in in a little bit of detail on the preview show. Um, and I said on that that I felt whoever came whoever came out of that game with without the three points would almost certainly I think be facing facing the drop. Um, and and so I think as we we also touched upon I think 
we both, I think, thought that Dijon would would come out of this as the as the losers, and and it's proven to be the case. Um, I think for Gangon, you know, you look and yes, they have some tricky games, but you know they've won two in four now. It it, it doesn't take a lot at this at this stage to to get confidence back. I think Gorvenek has you know, he knows how to do this. He knows how to rouse the troops. He knows how to have a bit of a dogfight. He knows how to to get the best from an underdog team. And maybe it's taken a little bit of time following his return, but the club wasn't in a in a good place, um, uh, you know, under under Kombuare. It wasn't really going in the right direction. But he now seems to have found it. And I think what is equally impressive is impressive is, of course, previous week they they suffered a real, really damaging. Uh, lost to Toulouse, it would have been easy, I think, for that to have completely, you know, completely knock them. But it didn't. You know, they 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 galvanised. You know, they put in a solid. I'm not going to say it was a hugely impressive performance because um, it, it it perhaps wasn't quite that. But they they galvanised and fought hard, um, and and ultimately they got the three points. Um, and it is a huge three points. It really, really is. You know, they they know how they know how it feels to win now. Um, you know, they followed that up with, um, you know, they they beat Angers a few weeks ago. Um, they've been picking up points. I think that's the key difference between their Gangomp and and, and um, Dijon and Caen is is they've just been consistently losing. Gangomp in the last few weeks have started to pick up points, and they've now been rewarded, of course, with that huge win at the weekend that's taken them to 18th. And momentum feels with them now. You know, they know they've got that winning feeling. They've got that positivity now in the squad. They feel as though they're going in the right direction. They've moved up the table. You know, all of that plays a part into, into really, really boosting the morale. Um, and you just think everything that we've just said there for Gangol, the complete opposite is the case for Dijon. You know, they've got, ironically, they've got the former... Gangon coach in 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 Kombuare in the dugout, he's not stopped the rot. Again, I think it was you know actually on the on the preview show mentioned what a crazy decision it was to have sacked a manager who knows how to get the best from these players, and you know that that's proving to be the case because Kombuare has seen no 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 response whatsoever from from the squad. Yeah, they're still leaking goals as they always seem to have done, but they're not scoring. They're, you know, they're they're just not scoring goals. It's two goals in about eight games, I think, now for for Dijon. Um, with you know tricky games, you know they themselves have tricky games. You know, and they're running, they're away at Lyon. Um, you know, they've got to face. You know, they're away at PSG. The only saving grace I think that that Dijon have to cling to is they have a double header. Um, sorry, they don't have a double header. That's <laughs> That's Con that has a double header, but they they play away at Con, and they have games that you know if they're to stay up should be deemed as winnable. You know they're at home to Amiens, they finish at home to Toulouse, they're at home to Strasbourg, who by then might not have much to play for. So it's it's not over yet, but I certainly feel as though these three teams will will make up the bottom three. I don't see them winning enough points to close that. I think it's seven point gap. Um, to to 17th so i think it will be a battle between these three teams but you look at form and form is what ultimately matters at the moment and that is 
you know, um, Khan and, and Dijon are a million miles away from getting any kind of form that will give them hope for survival. Whereas, the, you know, the opposite now is the case for Gangle. Yeah, and Richard's hit the nail on the head really there with Jez with the uh, with Dijon. I mean, they've scored twice in their last eight games, and they've got one point from those games as well, which was against Ras. Admittedly, they have got games where they've got chances. Rich highlighted a few. I think I'd also highlight the the away game against Nantes, who were stuck in neutral really more than anything at the moment, and, and a Nice side that seems to be gifting teams below them chances to to get points. But it's all starting to look a little bit desperate for them now, given the gap they've got to do. It's it's almost like a a shoot fight between them and Gangomp, and they've gifted the Brittany side the advantage in this one there. Yeah, I think although it's it's close between those three, and I, I agree, I think it is just between those three now. And obviously, that 18th place and the fact that it's a playoff is, is I guess, great great for us because um, it gives you know, makes it a little bit more exciting, and it's kind of great for those teams because it gives one of them a second chance. So there really is still something to fight for. Um, but yeah, on paper, Dijon have a few winnable matches there. Um, you know, arguably all their their home matches are winnable, possibly except for for Ren, which 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 looks tough. Um, but they should, there is room for them to get points there. Um, the problem is that, as Rich said, although confidence can turn quickly, it's also a very fragile thing. And and it's been so long since they they've won any well, they haven't won any match since since beginning of February, and that was that was in the cup. Um, they haven't won a league match since since the end of the last week of January, and, and that is a hell of a long um, sort of winless run to turn around. Um, and as you said, the problem is it's not even sort of a lot of the time it's, it's not particularly valiant defeats because they don't look like scoring. And it's bizarre because if you if you just look probably at the three teams on paper, irrespective of form, you just you just looked at the, at the names on the, the squad. You'd think, if nothing else, Dijon are gonna. They've got goals in them. They're, they're gonna concede, but they're gonna score enough goals to, to scrape through. And but you know, the players they've got, the Janos, the the Tavares, the players that you'd expect to be uh, just coming up with a few goals, that they're, they're not getting. And, you know, even the fact that Tavares was sort of officially not the not because he of any sort of discipline thing, but just because of, I think, lack of form. The fact that he was kind of publicly, officially stripped of his captaincy last week doesn't, it's, it's another sort of, I think, poor sign, poor outward show. And by the on the other side of it, there's Gangon, who although they're not exactly flush with wins, you can see that they've sort of been building something. And, um, you know, they've conceded one goal in their last uh, one, two, three, four, five, five matches. Um, that's you know even though they only got two wins, the fact that they're they're you know becoming a lot stingier at the back is huge because it means that they firstly they don't need to score as many to get the points. Secondly, they can hopefully the confidence they're building by keep, keeping those clean sheets. They're coming out thinking, you know, at the very least we're not going to lose or someone's going to have to work really hard and play really well to beat us. Um, and then it's up to us to to do the business at the other end and and. Hopefully, you'll get the points. And yeah, certainly at the moment, they're they're the ones that have built up. It's not a huge head of steam, but it is a head of steam. Whereas Caen haven't won all year. Dijon haven't won in the league since January. Um, I'm sure there's still going to be 
um, you know, a couple of surprises and things aren't going to be straightforward. But at the moment, it's it's not even close. Gag are the only one showing any kind of form. And coming on to perfectly set up the the thing for for Kong really because I was going to say that they've not won since week eighteen in, in, back in December they've been pretty dreadful really which is maybe the only way of expressing it and it sort of capitalised you could say with this result of the weekend because Sadatian haven't been in the greatest of form in their last seven games they've only won well in their last six games prior to this game they'd only won twice, once against Dijon by a goal and against Strasbourg by a result of two to one, uh, two versus one. So they haven't been winning strongly when they have and they've been pretty uncomfortable in the games, but they gave Korn an absolute shellacking. Um, it's maybe the only way really of saying it at the weekend. 5-0. Korn only managed one shot on target and that came in the 64th minute. So it took forever for them to either muster a chance at home as well. Um, that's about as bleak as it can get. Uh, it is. I mean, I have a, quite a, a murky theory about this, is that kind of identified their games now that they have left. And it, it that performance to me screamed of, you know what, we're not going to win this. Let's not risk any injuries. Let's not risk any, any burnout. And, you know, it, it almost felt like they've just thrown the match. You know, it just, it, it just felt as though, Right, well, we're not putting any eggs in this particular basket because you know we know in in a couple of games' time, you know, we're away at Nîmes. That's a, that's a winnable game. We follow that up at home to Angers. That's a winnable game. Um, they're away at Nice. Then they have alluded to it, alluded to it earlier. Then they have the double header uh, at home to Dijon away at Gangle. Um So it, you know, there, there's there's winnable games there. Santetin at home. Maybe they just thought, you know what, we're just not going to, almost like they're not going to turn up. Now, it's it's not a great attitude to have. We don't want to see that kind of attitude. Um, and that's only a theory, of course, but it was an absolutely abject performance. It really was. It was a performance that screamed the players have just given up. The players don't think they've got it in them um, to, to stay up. They don't feel as though the coach has got it in him to turn things around. Um, and it just feels as though they're just going to miserably, you know, slowly, in arguably the worst way possible, just drop out of the league by playing. I mean, it's not even as though they're 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 being unlucky. You know, they're they're victims of of poor luck or bad luck. They're just they're playing some really horrible stuff. You know, they're they're struggling for goals. They're conceding goals left, right, and centre. There is a huge lack of quality in that squad. Um, you know, you felt as though they were going to have a troublesome season ever since uh, Patrice Caron left, who'd obviously done wonders, really, I think, with the squad to 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 keep them in the top flight for as long as he did. And maybe he saw what was coming and decided, you know what, I've now's a, now's a pretty good time to leave because this squad is not a good squad. I, I genuinely don't see how Caron turned this around. I really don't think they have it in them. And they've never been particularly high scorers anyway. So I don't really know where the goals are going to come from. At least you have a feat. You could make an argument for Dijon that they have strikers who, who have you know, goals, you know, proven goal-scoring ability. You know, they, they did it very successfully last season. 
And maybe all it will take is, you know, a couple of you know, a goal or a lucky deflection here or there. And all of a sudden for those kind of players, the the feeling of scoring and the knack of goal scoring returns. But I don't get that from from Cole. The the quality in that squad just doesn't feel good enough. And you know, they're bottom of the table now. I don't see them moving from that position now for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think Jess has nailed it. it, it just that Rich has nailed that really because they, it looks like they're really focusing on that double header really now. Because yes, they've got winnable games, but they're in such dreadful form, and the teams they are facing, where you think Neem can be a really high goal scorers, can Con really match them out? We haven't seen that in any shape or form this season really. That I, I can't even remember the last time they scored more than one goal in a game. It, it must be a long time ago. I mean. They got six in the Coupe de France, but I'm not going to count that really. They got two against France in the draw. That was the last time. So it has been since the new year for that as well. A game against Dan Angers is not going to be easy given the form they've shown recently. Nice away is, is such a tough one because they, they do concede such few goals that where the con can break that defence. So those two games, I think they've settled on the fact that they'll be in that bottom three. But those last two games really, Jesse against Dijon and Gangonpin, late April, early May will decide whether they go down automatically or whether they simply just about get that relegation playoff place. Yeah, it could come down to that, but it's playing a very dangerous game, hoping that Dijon Gangle don't get enough points elsewhere that, you know, just getting six points from, from those two games, which is obviously far from a formality anyway, um, that that would even be enough for them to, to get that 18th place. Uh, they're, they're just showing absolutely no form and, and as, as you both alluded to, whereas Dijon strikers, I think, do have an element of quality, I'm not really sure that Cons have enough anyway. That They're all sort of uh, more or less kind of journeymen, Liga um, strikers will come up with, with a handful of goals, maybe in a, in a good season, but not the type that you'd really want to be relying on them. Um, Ninka's showing a, a little bit of a return to form, but I don't think it's enough by himself. They've got a couple of creative players in midfield, but they say see, either they're not doing enough themselves or they haven't formed a good enough relationship with the strikers. Um, and it's just, it's even harder to see how they're going to turn it around than Dijon because, yeah, as, as I said, I think Dijon, you can, you can point to a few quality players in that team that you think they... You know, if they can raise their game by a few percent, they could get the, the the results. But I just don't think there's there's anywhere near that kind of quality in, in Constantine. And um, whereas the last couple of seasons they've scraped through um, with with, with Garon behind them, well, you know, it, it sounds wrong to say it, but with a couple of very dodgy looking results against PSG in both seasons as well to help them out. Um, I, I can't see that happening this year. And Kubis was was came in to, to help Mercadal and you know, I'll hopefully give him that bit of experience that, that will help him and the team out. Um, I don't know if it's that now it kind of undermines Mercadal and so he's got even less authority in the changing room or just that you know, Kubis is, is quite a veteran coach now. Maybe he's just, he's just lost it and doesn't quite have the... The sort of spark that he used to have to get players really playing for him, but whatever it is, it hasn't made any difference. You look at the results over the last month or so, um, and and it's it's really difficult to see how they're going to get out of this. 
Yeah, it, it becomes tougher and tougher by the week. And like you said there, Jez, it's such a tough game to play. They could already be pretty much down or, or, or really struggling before that double ever even comes across. And I, I think that's probably going to be the case, really. Um, I can't even see them catching anyone. If they, it, the teams would love if they could just have dragged someone into the into the dog fight with them, but everyone just keeps nicking a couple of points to stay afloat. To, I'm thinking Toulouse grabbing a few. Marseille got a big win, but uh, sorry, Monaco got a big win, and I, I don't think anyone would have ever thought they would have been dragged back down. But at the same time, Amiens still got a point at the weekend when they had a penalty against them in the last minute that might have helped teams give some encouragement. Same with the the free fall. Nantes have been in in the second half of the season. At another time, they might have been able to drag them in, but they're, they're so far behind them already. It's just becoming more and more uh, difficult, really, in those three. I'm going to have a dogfight to the end of the season now, but on to matters that will happen this week, really. The, the France squad was announced what feels like an age ago, really, more than that, but the, the qualifiers don't happen until... Friday and uh, later on at well, the start of next week when uh, the squad was an interesting one for Didier Deschamps. Rich, it, it, a lot of people argued that there was plenty of people queuing up to to get a call up really given the form that they've been in but he stuck with his guns and a lot of sort of continuity over the team that he had previously in the Nations League. Do you think that was the right decision to go for that continuity over and trust in those players rather than the competition that a lot of players really recently have put forward over the course of the season? Uh, I, I get it. You know, I'm, I am a huge Deschamps fan. That 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 goes without saying. But as I, I tweeted at the time of the squad announcement, he, he does have this knack of making it really tough at times because... You know, by and large, I have no issue with the squad, but there are players within there. I scratch my head and think there's loyalty and then there's something else because, you know, I don't know why or how Mondonda is there, for starters. Let's let's start with the goalkeepers. I don't know why Mondonda is there. Um, you know, you've got Hugo Lloris, captain, nailed on, starter, no question of that. The excuse that everybody keeps giving is Mondonda is there for experience. Maybe I can understand that for a tournament, but not for a round of qualification, not for a two, you know, two games. No, I don't I don't buy that. Ariola is is more than capable of, as a backup. You know, you've got keepers like Benjamin Lecomte, for example, who are performing incredibly well week in, week out. You've got, you know, dare I say it, Benoit Costille, who I think has had a very good season with Bordeaux. You know, you've got Alban Lafont. Let's you know, let's not forget about him. He's he is knocking at the door, and I know there is a, a almost um, a requirement. It feels unless you're something truly exceptional that you do your you sort of do your hours, if you like, you do your your badges, if you like, with the youth teams. But by all accounts, he's having a, a you know a really strong season in Italy with Fiorentina. So I don't know why Mondonda is there. We look at the defence. Okay, I get it that injury has ruled out the the sort of maybe the first three choices in 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 Hernandez um, and the two Mendes, but I really don't know how Levin Kazao, who has only just returned from a long term injury, and even that hasn't guaranteed him a starting like a, a, a starting role in the PSG team. Quite how he's been called up, it, it, that feels very much like a a default call up of 
actually, you know what, we don't have too many other options here because I'm fairly confident that Luca Dean, who has had a good season with Everton, will will no doubt start both of those matches. You know, Kimpembe, I don't think, has had a particularly good season. Um, you know, he's he's not had a good couple of, of games when he's played for France recently. Um, but, you know, Deschamps has continued to reward him there. Um, you know, Mtiti has only just himself come back from injury. Zuma, you don't, is, is he really, you know, the player that, that, that should be called up when you've got players like Issa Diop, for example, who's playing really well for, for West Ham? There's obviously, you know, the, the, the sort of elephant in the room, if you like, is, is Amaric Laporte. Um, and will it ever happen? I know he himself has just come back from, from a, from an, from a knock as well. So defence probably is is the is the source of most questions. I don't think there's particularly too many issues in the midfield, um, and then up front, I suppose, is another another area where questions have to be asked. Um, you know, Martial was unlucky to to have to drop out of this squad. I think he had to do it in the last international break as well, where he played really well for United and then got called up, but only had to withdraw for them for injury. Thomas Lamar. A slight curious call, you know. We know he's a good player, but I'm not sure he's necessarily been at his best for for um, for Atletico. Tovan, really curious because you can't necessarily knock his form to a huge degree at club level. Never really seems to be given the the chances at international level, and when he does, doesn't really feels like he takes them. So you have to question. Is it worth having him in the squad if you're going to not play him? And when he does have the tiniest of opportunities, it's not great. Um, and I suppose the in, in terms of the attack, the elephant in the room there, of course, is Lacazette. You know, he's in good form for Arsenal. He has been, you know, in good form, it feels like, for the last, you know, six, seven seasons. And you just feel he's got to be rewarded at some point. I know he's had opportunities and you know opportunities he has taken opportunity he hasn't with France but you just feel we can't continue Deschamps can't continue to ignore these players who are, who are quite clearly you know at the top of their game you know I don't think many would argue that Laporte for example has been arguably one of if not the best center back in in the Premier League this season, maybe, <laughs> maybe blasphemy. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jers will have a few Brighton-based players. To, no, no. Uh, I said, what about the greatest player in the world? Apparently, Van Dijk. Oh, well, best yeah. Dutch player in the Premier League ever, isn't he? Apparently. <laughs> but you know, there's, 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 you know, there's, there's question marks. I suppose there is. I don't mind Deschamps having that loyalty. I really don't. And to be perfectly honest, I'm of the opinion he can probably do whatever the hell he wants because he's won the World Cup. Um, but you know, I I very much am for I I want to see Laporte in this team now. I want to see Lacazette in this team. You know, I want I want loyalty, yes, but I also want players to feel as though if they're playing well, they will get rewarded with a call up um, and given an opportunity in that squad. You know, we can we 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 know it We know it can happen. You know. Mbappe is obviously an extreme, extreme example, but that's happened. And Dombele, more perhaps a more recent um, example. You know, we know that that's we know that that's happened. 
you know, you look at it, it wasn't that long ago that Lucas Hernandez was nowhere near the squad. And, you know, he went in, you know, he went into the World Cup then and, and was the, the first choice left back. Um, we know Furla Mendy would have been in this squad, but for injury. Um, so we know that Deschamps can. So uh, there's, there's something with Laporte and, and Lacazette that is perhaps yet to be uncovered. But, you know, I do want to see them. In. I want to see players at the top of their game playing at world-class levels, I would, I, would, I, would, I would arguably claim, especially with Laporte, be rewarded with a call-up to the French squad. I think it's only the right thing to do. But, of course, you know, Deschamps is a big proponent of loyalty, big proponent of harmonious squads. So, you know, maybe we read into that that there's, there's concerns that he has over their ability to, to slot into a harmonious squad. Jess, I think the important fact is that uh, there's a lot of names that really could be argued. It's a benefit to have it really at France level that they've got so many names that many feel aggrieved to be out. But who do you think was the biggest snub out of the lot of them? I mean, there's a lot of questionable calls of, of players that have been out of form or, or recently injured or, or barely playing for club sides even. But um, who do you think has the most egregious reason to say that they really should be absolutely in this squad? Uh, I'm tempted to say any French goalkeeper that isn't Montonda. <laughs> but um, I think uh, uh, for me, it's it's Lacazette. Um, Laporte, uh, as Rich said, he's coming back from a knock. And there are enough rumours swirling around about him that, that possibly there, there are maybe legitimate uh, concerns about sort of squad harmony there. Um, I'm not sure how many, if any, are true, but there's an element of sort of no smoke without fire. Lacazette, I know Deschamps had an issue with him before, but that was from a tour that was five years ago. Um, since then, he's matured a lot. He's been called into the squad before. I can only really think of one squad get-together where he's really impressed over two matches. But the fact is that he's doing it every week at a top level. And I think he's he can bring the... Uh, Deschamps talks a lot about the, you know, the profiles up front, and it's it's when people are saying why have you picked him and not him, you know, why have you picked Giroud and not Ben Yedder, for example. They're completely different players, but I don't think that argument holds as much weight with with Lacazette because I really think he can do a bit of everything. I think he can play off the off the wings, he can play down the middle, he can drop, he can he can create, he can finish. I think he can do it all. Um, and I, I personally would think I think he's a he'd be a big addition to the squad. To be honest, on on form, I it's not even necessarily in replacement of Shiru. I think I'd have him in in, um, in place of Fekir, who I'm not sure is doing it consistently enough at the moment necessarily to 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 warrant a place in the squad. Even though he's proved that he can be a, a sort of big game player, they didn't show that at all last week. Um, so yeah, for a lot of the other positions, I think you can you can argue the toss either way. Tovan, for example, it's it's really hard to drop him because of his form, but uh, his club form. But would you ever be confident have, if you had to play him at national level when he's done absolutely nothing, albeit with very little chances? Um, other positions, as Rich said, I think left back is just because there's no one else. Right back. I, I think that although he'd be a complete newcomer, Lala deserves it all day long more than Sidibe does at the moment. 
Um, so that there are there are a few others that could feel hard done by, but for me, Lacazette is the standout strange one. Yeah, I think for for one thing, Laporte might as well sign up for a Spanish passport. I think more than anything, I, I, I don't think he's ever going to really get in at this point. But I, I, well, the, I would, the interesting yeah. one is that a lot of people are saying that Longley deserves a place, um, and that that could be a really interesting one to look at because obviously him and Mtiti are vying for the the left-sided centre-back position for club and possibly country in the future. Absolutely. I think I'm going to throw one in here that we've not mentioned. I mentioned on Twitter really before the announcement because I can't understand how what more Sebastian Allaire has to do this season to get a call-up, really. I, I, I've watched him a few times for for uh, Frankfurt, and a lot of Bundesliga fans will say that, yes, Luka Vujovic is, is an absolute sensation for them, but uh, Sebastian Haller is the, is the glue that puts them together. He's terrific on the ball. He, he sets up his teammates. He's, he's skillful. He's he's a great striker. He's so strong as well. He, he's a Giroud 2.0. And the fact that I know there's a loyalty to Giroud and what he has done for France and bits like that, but the simple fact of the matter is, and he's even admitted himself, he's a Europa League player now, unfortunately, because that's all Chelsea want to use him for. Now, at the moment, the the, the rumour is that the Deschamps obviously wants to move on to a sort of Kylian Mbappe moving as a, as a central striker and, and using some of the very attacking wingers they've got. And, and if that's the case then why take Giroud in the first place then again to, to reward him for not playing and scoring goals in, in the, the three appearances he gets every so now and again. I, I, if he wants to insist on using Giroud, I, I can't believe that he's out of all the strikers he's got. Yes, Lacazette's got a good case. I think Ben Yedder has, but I think out of anyone... In terms of what he would offer, in terms of it, not just score, goal scoring, but from a, 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 a target man and a, a creative sense as well, he's got a, a double figure assists so far this season in, in the in the Bundesliga as well. He's he, he just would be an excellent link, and if he insists on playing Giroud and not bringing Haller into the squad, who's who's going to get a lot of eyes looking at him in the summer? I think I, I think he's a sensational footballer. It's it's a real shame to think that he's going to have to wait a little bit longer, especially because they are playing these friendlies in midweek, um, Rich, because the first one is against Moldova, which well, pretty much, I don't really want to offend the Moldovans, really, but it is expected to be a kind of walkover. I'm sure they, they would be happy even if they only lose by, by a couple of goals, really. And then a game against Iceland, which is he's seen as some, somewhat of a bogey team, but they have been a little bit poorer over the last 12 months, really, than, than what we'd expected last time, um, sort of over the Euros and such. Uh, is that maybe the, the the I suppose that's the shame that that Deschamps has shown that he's not going to try and, and and experiment in these sort of what you may say is at least the first one is a, a more lackluster game, but focusing on the matches themselves at least six points realistically, or at least this Iceland one is going to is going to cause some kind of problem. I mean, it should be six points. Of course, it should be six points, but um, this is France in a in a qualifying campaign for a major tournament and. Things certainly in recent qualification um, uh, uh, rounds have have never been the most straightforward. There have been the odd twist or turn. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they were they were drawing uh, with uh, with Luxembourg. Um, so yes, it should be six points. I think the squad that Deschamps has picked and perhaps the lack of experimentation maybe is a sign that he is taking this you know, very seriously and. 
you know, he is keen to make sure that the, the, the squad gets off to a, a good start to the qualifying in terms of picking up those six points. Um, uh, funnily enough, I think I think the, the Iceland game at home, I think, could actually turn out to be the easier of the two. You know, a way to, to all the sort of Eastern European teams is always a little tricky. Um, you know, it's the opening qualifying game. Um, maybe... Maybe they may just be a little bit rusty. I have, I, I, I still maintain that. The, yeah, they will pick up the six points, but you know, it, it, chances are we're not going to see a vintage French performance. Certainly, in, in at least one of the games, I think it may be a little bit of a slog. Jess, do you agree with that statement? That it, I suppose the the worry for France over the last sort of year or so is that they sometimes play down to to opponents on, on, on occasion and. It, expected wins against Mold while it might not be as much of a concern against Moldova against an Iceland team that can be really plucky despite their sort of uh, dip in form shall we say on the international scale uh, over the last uh, sort of 6 to 12 months I didn't get a single point during the, the Nations League against Switzerland and Belgium which are, uh, aren't the easy sides in the world but you, you we might have hoped for a little bit more given how they'd been in, in previously and the World Cup wasn't you know, really a shining moment for them, despite getting a, a nice point against Argentina as well. But in, in a sense, that this should really be six points and a, and a good start to what really looks like a comfortable group. I 100% agree with what Rich said. I think it should be six points, but definitely the, the, it's the, the away match um, in Moldova, which is the one that, that I think will be the struggle. Um, France has struggled with those kind of matches before, um, against Belarus more than once. Um, I, think I remember a few years ago, a couple against Lithuania, for example, as well. So there's there's sort of history there. And it, I mean, in a way, it's nice that I, re I remember sort of 15, 20 years ago when France were known as the, the, the world champions of friendlies and qualifiers because they have quite good records in that and then and then sort of flopping um, in the in the tournaments or, or in matches that really mattered. So um, the sort of comfort is that struggling in qualifying tournaments and then winning World Cups, and I'll, I'll definitely take it that way around all, all day long. But yeah, I, I'm not expecting much pretty football in the Moldova match. Hopefully against Iceland, we can see something a little bit more expansive. Hopefully Iceland will, will um, show sort of more, more intent on their side, which will allow France to do that as well. But yeah, the Moldova one, I don't really care how it happens. I just think the most important thing is, is the is the three points and um, kind of connected with that and with the Haller thing. Um, that, to me, that's the frustration. I, I know lots of people will say, oh, God, it's, you know, it's another international meetup and bloody friendlies and all that. I really do think friendlies are important. And as good as the Nations League has been in, in, in some ways, um, the fact that it's sort of, it is still a kind of semi-competitive competition, if that makes sense. I think means that there's less opportunity for for managers to to try to blood new players, and I think that's the thing with Haller here. Um, yes, he deserves a call up, maybe Dembele as well, for example. But the fact is, the most important thing is getting three points in Moldova, and possibly Deschamps thinking in terms of the the big striker up front, Giroud's the fourth best foot highest goal scorer in France's history. Um, I know I can rely on him to get the goals. Um, Haller, you know, if I was 
play him on his debut, possibly a bit nervous, possibly at a different level. Um, okay, maybe not Moldova, but the players around him, for example, less affinities with them. It's much more of a risk. So um, if, if this had been uh, a meet-up with two friendlies, I'd have been a lot more frustrated of not seeing a, a Halle or a, or a Dembele or even Ben Yedde um, again. But but I, I do understand Deschamps' thinking with, with two qualifiers coming up. Uh, in fairness to Alera, I'm not sure if he knows anything in terms of nerves from the looks of how he comes onto a football field to fair. And, uh, 19 goals and 12 assists in 37 games. That's through Bundesliga, all the cups and uh, the Europa League as well, where they're having a fantastic time of things. He, he's really playing spectacular football at the moment. It would have been nice. But uh, on to our final bit this evening, at least anyway, and it's our Liga snapshots, my favourite moment at least. Let's start with yourself on this one, Rich. What's your Liga snapshot? Uh, mine's really, really brief this week. Um, it was a, a really nice stat. Um, in, in scoring a, I suppose you'd call it a trademark towering header for him now off the bench, um, 36-year-old Montpellier striker Suleiman Kamara uh, became the first player this century um, to score in 15 different league seasons, um, which I think is a pretty pretty remarkable feat. Um but he's, you know, he's been a, he's been the the, the archetypal journeyman, uh, but a fantastic servant to the top flight. So it was uh, nice to see him back on the score sheet again. Jess, uh, I've picked one from from the same match, and it's we spent a long time talking about Mondonda, and and Lecomte was mentioned in dispatches. I I love Lecomte. I think he's a fantastic keeper, and if Montpellier miss out on on Europe. Um, I think he'll be very in demand and, and a move to Marseille is the, the very obvious one. But a couple of times recently, he's made a couple of strange errors. And, and I thought two of Lyon's goals arguably were, were, were his fault at the weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm just I'm really hoping that, that that's not a sign of things to come and that it, it's not going to scupper his chances of a, of a big move. Because I think he's deserved for a very long time the chance to move to a really top club, the chance to get um, more exposure to the France squad. And, and you know, I hope this isn't a case of sort of, um, I don't know, nerves, just as just as that big move is in the offing. Mm, absolutely. I think mine, again, I suppose this season, it seems like I always pick this team up on my league. I'm sure it is Rats again, but another excellent performance from them. Another great performance from Zanelli, who's been terrific since he's joined them uh, from Heron Vane. But I wanted to particularly highlight Remy Udan's goal because it's it's an absolutely brilliant strike from the, from the forward, who's in red hot form, really, for the club that can't seem to think about losing at the moment they've been on a on a tear in uh, 2019 they're in a great position heading into this last sort of international break sitting in in sixth only a point off marseille in fourth which um should really stoke the fires of them and, and some interesting games heading up for them because obviously they won't be playing on the weekend straight away after the international break, they they have to play Strasbourg in midweek due to their cup fixture. 
so they have a little bit of a an extra added rest um, before they get back to the stage. They then have a, a difficult game against uh, Lille and then Monaco as well. But Saint-Étienne, Angers, Nîmes, Colm, Bordeaux, before facing Paris Saint-Germain on the fast, last day of the season, who may have already won the title, there's a real argument that Rance, if they can continue the form they've showed in 2019, they really could finish in fourth, which would be a spectacular achievement. But heads, hats off to them, but especially to that beautiful Romeo Dango. Do go check it out. It'll be on the YouTube on, on the League and um, YouTube for, for League and at least anyway. Check it out. It's a it's a terrific strike. Uh, and um, and, and just just very very quickly, just with Rams as well, just to follow up on that is is the fact that with with 13 games without defeat only Barcelona are on a longer unbeaten run in the top 5 European leagues than could Rams. you imagine that's true champagne football, isn't it? I think that's a perfect play to end that really. That's all that we have time for. My thanks to Rich, Jez, and all of you listening at home. Uh, with the international break, there'll be no show tomorrow for the preview show, but um, do join us back on the main show again on Monday. Avianto and goodbye.